and welcome back to the SBK betting podcast. And as we've reached the midpoint of January, the slowest month of the year, we can just about feel ourselves reaching to February, which means it's going to be the shortest month of the year, which essentially means Cheltenham in March is almost here. And with so much Christmas racing unraveling and more festival clues and the fact we pretty much saw the Supreme Novice Hurdle winner in Constitution Hill last week, we thought we would take stock and dedicate a podcast to three key races at this year's festival and go through our anti-post selections at this point in time. So as always, thrilled to be joined by James Millman, Ross Miller, and we welcome back Tom Collins, SBK's resident tipster. So delighted to have all three of you here and welcome along. Hi Jess. Oh. Hi Jess. So without further ado, we're going to start with Tuesday's feature, the champion hurdle, one in magnificent style by Hanny Suckle last year. He looks pretty much even better this season. Her demolition job in the Hatton's Grace means she's currently a pretty short price uh, for this showpiece on the Tuesday. 23 entered it at this stage. I can see many of these horses taking up other engagements to swerve having to face her. It's really from where I'm sitting and can't wait to hear from the, from the guys what they think of each way value that we're possibly looking for here. Who might chase her home or is she beatable? Um, I'm going to start with Tom Collins. Welcome you back. I'll come to you first. This race is all about honeysuckle, according to the market. And in terms of an anti-post play at this point in time, where are you looking? Yes, it is all about honeysuckle. You're right there. Um, obviously, she's unbeaten. She could easily become the 16th dual winner um, of the champion hurdle. And I think she will. But she's currently 8 to 11 in the market. I think she'll win the race. But the, the value, as you say, is in the each way markets. And I had a long time to look at these um, and I was scrolling down the list. Obviously, Sharjah's in there. He'll probably run his usual race and hit the frame. But the horse I like is another Willie Mullins trained horse called San Ra Ra or San Roy. I don't know how you quite pronounce him. We'll go with Ra. Um, He bolted up in the county hurdle last in 2020 off a mark of 137 now i know that was a much weaker race than the than the uh, the champion hurdle that he's going to run in this year but he still won with so much in hand that day he beat some good horses including aramon who finished second um rallied under pool town and that day for willie mullins as well and since then he's been running competitive in competitive grade one races in ireland um against the likes of honeysuckle um zana here as well and charger and I, th I think he's kind of coming to the boil now he's he's made his mark in this division and I think we're about to see him shine now the return to Cheltenham I think is a big positive obviously he won the county as I mentioned and he seemed to relish the hill that day under Barry Garrity he just scooted clear um, up the run-in I think the return to Cheltenham will see an improved performance and it will need to because on ratings he needs to find roughly seven to eight pounds just to make the frame here but he's priced accordingly he's around 25 to one and I think if Willie Mullins has him spot on and he jumps better than he has recently then Sam Ra can hit the frame Interesting. Yeah, as you say, 25 to 1 made a belated return to the racetrack. It was interesting that the, the team decided not to run him in the champion hurdle last year. A few niggles, they said, and he hadn't improved enough uh, to, to warrant a place in that. But, you know, they, they've clearly got him back to somewhere near, they think, that, you know, he's shown in the past. It was quite an interesting, difficult race that they had to miss out that last hurdle um, at Leopardstown, um, but I thought it looked pretty laboured. But as you say, county hurdle winner, 25 to 1, decent each way value. I'm going to ask the man who's based in France how we pronounce this name. I assume it's Saint-Roi, but Ross, please, can you do the honours? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a British man in France, so I'd call him Saint-Roy, wouldn't I? But yeah, I think it is Saint-Roi. Um, 
so that's that's what we'll go with and 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 uh, i think uh, we got that right um so yeah that would be my pronunciation of him and from your perspective samwa is a you know for me he's a horse that needs to improve just a little bit but we've seen horses really outperform and go to Cheltenham and, and refine their class and you know essentially as, as Tom was saying it this is looks to be a, a race where we're trying to fill in the places aren't we yeah and, and I came down on the same the same horse as Tom I think he's the horse in the field that's possibly got the most improvement in him they clearly were fighting a little bit with him last year to to, to get him ready and and he clearly disappointed them a couple of times I thought it was notable at uh Leperstein over Christmas in the Matheson hurdle he did get cut off turning in um the, the Gordon Elliott horse came across him and just stopped him in his run only for a couple of strides and it's very difficult to pick up up that Leopardstown hill I think once you've lost your momentum um and I, the other thing I'd add on top of what Thomas said is that it would have been very easy if they didn't think he was quite up to this to sort of drop him back into handicap company and, and and have a handicap target the fact they've persisted i think is a is a is a good sign um and i thought his last run he over raced so uh, uh, and i slightly disagree with you i i think this could be quite a big runner um uh, champion hurdle because i think there'll be a lot chance in their arm to, to run into a place they'll sort of be trying to run second or third um so some sort of lesser lights and that might just allow uh, let's assume Mark Walsh rides to get some cover, um, perhaps not quite so buzzy. And I, I just thought he at 25 to 1, he he did look a bit of value. Confidence behind St. Roy, St. Roy from both Tom and Ross at 25 to 1 for the Willie Mullins team. We've seen horses fill these places at, at big odds in the past few years. Um, the Br British horses have been have struggled. Epitan, obviously, the winner and was placed in this race last year uh she comes in here with a you know off, off the back of, of a decent enough performance over christmas uh but it looks like you know she's going to be up against it from a mayor's perspective with honeysuckle james i'll come to you from a british standpoint is there anything that you think could get in within a place are there any horses that have have light lighted you up in terms of this race well, the one that surprised me most, we've only seen him once this year, was Adagio when he came second in the Greatwood off top weight, love and stone 12, because I didn't give him much hope in that contest, to be honest, given where that weighed away, yet he, he ran an absolute cracker. Um, hasn't been seen since. I mean, he did pick up a, a little bit of a setback, but I think he's all all right now. Um, he had a good campaign last year, a busy juvenile campaign where he, he ran an absolute storm behind Solios in, in the Triumph itself, finishing second. He had a wind up over the summer. And I just thought that was a, a cracking seasonal return. Bearing in mind, he was giving £15 to some of his rivals, like No Ordinary Joe, West Cork, your winner. Those two actually didn't boost the form at, at Ascot, but the fifth, sixth and seventh certainly have. Tritonic, Glory and Fortune, Marie's Rock. Um, so I think it's a solid effort off 147. He's likely to improve again. Probably not quite good enough to, to beat an on-form Honeysuckle, but we kind of have nothing new into the market. Honeysuckle's shown she's as good as ever this year. Charger, he's not getting any younger, but again, he's as good as what he was. I'm not quite really sure what Epitant's really achieved um, in two very weak grade ones in, in, in the UK. So of the established horses, I think nothing's changed from last year. So having a new one into the scene, uh, Adagio, who's currently 33s, um, I thought he could be a, a lovely each way price. He goes well at, at Cheltenham. And I think he might surprise a few, like he, he surprised me in, in, in the Greatwood. 
Yeah, he put up a good performance there. He looks like he might be heading to the Betfair hurdle where he's a, a short enough price, which would be a decent enough next step for him en route to a race like this. As you say, 33 to 1 for Adagio. Um, I'm going to go for another horse that will have his first attempt in this race, um, and that's a five-year-old. Now, five-year-olds don't have a great record, although Espor Dalan was a winner um, of the champion hurdle in 2018. And the route he took was the same as Tiopu, um, who won the Limerick Hurdle at Christmas. And I just like the way that this horse stayed and outstayed uh, Quilixios in the run-in. What's quite an interesting run, run race. He's a very good jumper. He's a pretty young horse, um, pretty unexposed as well. He's only had the six runs. They have Zan here, and as well as St. Felicity and the Gordon Elliott team. But I think that I wouldn't be surprised... Not entirely sure, and I'd like to get thoughts perhaps of any anyone who thinks of the likes of Zana here, who's promised a lot and didn't really run a great race in uh, at Cheltenham last year. Do we think that Cheltenham form coming into this, and you guys have all picked out horses that have run well at Cheltenham, do you think that's really crucial when it comes to this? Yeah, I, I think Cheltenham form is very crucial. Um, not every horse gets up that hill. Um, like Samwa, he proved in the counter hurdle that he does get up the hill. Zanihir, Zanihir was an interesting horse last year. Um, I thought he was going to win um, when he went to Cheltenham, but uh, he hit a flat spot coming down the hill rather than like fading going up the hill. Um, so I think he's got plenty to prove going to Cheltenham. He is a player because he did split Sharjah and Samwa last time um, over Christmas. But uh, I think he's, he's definitely got to try and tick that Cheltenham box because it's definitely unproven at the moment. Yeah, it's, um, it, I just think it's interesting, obviously, with my selection here for you, there's an unknown when it comes to Cheltenham, but I'd rather that than a horse that's not acted that well in the past. So yeah. he, he'd be my selection at 21 to 1. Definitely a lot of each way value around for that race. It's, it, um, that's where all three of us are going um, ahead of what looks like Honeysuckle's second champion hurdle at this stage. You still, still, still need to turn up. But as, we, as I say, anti-post market is what we're looking at at the moment. Uh, we'll head into the Stayers Hurdle for uh, what is normally the lesser of the championship races in terms of quality. It does sometimes outdoes. I think this year it outdoes the champion hurdle. It's a, definitely a better betting race, more competitive, and there are plenty of horses coming here in cracking form. Um, and I'll come uh, back to you first, Tom, and talk about a couple of the horses you know, we could talk about Classical Dream, Flooring Porter. Uh, they've obviously uh, ran pretty well. I think the two of those would like to see them reopposing each other after what we saw last time. Um, but from a UK perspective, you've got Champ, um, who's coming in here off the back of a really good win in the long walk. So in terms of a general overlook of the stayers, there's a good feel for this race. Yeah, I'm quite excited about this race, Jess, especially if Astir and Falange runs. I mean, I don't know whether that's the plan or not, but he's among the entries. Um, Champ, as you mentioned, reverting back to hurdles. He was really impressive. Um, obviously, he had a really bad season, didn't he, last year over fences. But we know this horse, Champ, is a, is a real star. And he was impressive over Christmas. I, I think he's going to have to prove it again at Cheltenham. I'm not 100% in Champ's camp, and he's short enough in the market for me. This is a race where I was just trying to find a new face. I thought Buzz was the face. Unfortunately, he suffered the injury. Um, and there I was just kind of looking around for another name um, in here. The likes of Paisley Park. I know one of our panellists is going to disagree with me. And Time Hill. And don't quite cut it for me anymore. Uh, I just came down on, on Classical Dream. Now, I know he's favourite, but he was really impressive in beating Florin Porter. Now, he got the run of the race that day. They didn't go hard early. And Classical Dream just took off. 
got a five length lead over Florian Porter and kind of held that margin roughly um, towards the line. They are closely matched and Florian Porter obviously goes well at Cheltenham. He proved that last year, but so does Classical Dream. Um, when he won the Supreme, it was one of the best performances I've seen um, in the last decade in that race. Now, I know there's been plenty, um, but he was very impressive, I thought. He wasn't really highly touted coming into the race, like many Willie Mullins horses, um, but he moved away like a, a real superstar. Then he suffered a bad year in 2019, then suffered an injury in 2020. But he's come back this year, proved that three miles is his trip. And I like him. I know he's favourite, but I like him back at Cheltenham. Of course, he handles, much like Samoa, um, he got up the hill really well. I think Classical Dream will do the same this year in the Stairs Hurdle and just proved to be the best in the race. Yeah, it looks like that hood has really helped him as well. He had that really low running style, didn't he, when he was a, a novice hurdler, but they've really worked him out. He's definitely a bit quirky. Um, and how did you look at that race in terms of what we saw in the, Chris, in the Christmas Hurdle at Leopardstown? Do you think the 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 start played massively into his into his hands, or was that, or do you, do you genuinely believe that you know that vessels won? And uh, just how do you work it out? Because I just I've got I've got varying opinions on it. Yeah, I, I think the start did obviously help. He got an, an easy time out in front. I did expect Florian Porter to go um, into leading Classical Dream to perhaps just track him and then try and make the move in the straight, but um, it didn't pan out that way. And Classical Dream did have the run of the race out in front. They are closely matched, as I say. The, the margin didn't really extend at any point in the race. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Florian Porter, you know, reduced that margin and perhaps got a bit closer to Classical Dream now back at Cheltenham. But it wasn't a fluke performance. He, he returned an RPR of 171. That's the second time he's, he's produced a performance of 171. Now, if he can re replicate that at Cheltenham, that would have won eight of the last 10 stairs hurdles. He has the ability to win this race. Three miles is his trip. And I think what's also crucial to Classical Dream's chance, now I know his favourite, um, it's unoriginal, I'm not coming up with uh, new ideas here, is the fact that he has the tactical speed to sit close to the pace. Now over three miles, people might be thinking, well, you don't need tactical speed, it's not a five furlong sprint or a mile race, for example, but there's a lot of scrimmaging in the stairs hurdle, especially turning for home. And I think he'll be bang there um, as they come towards the last, and that'll be crucial to his chance. Yeah, it's really interesting, as you say, the, the stairs hurdle that we saw last year with Florian Porter stay, getting to the front and staying there was different to what we've seen in the past. Paisley Park, the, the typical, the stereotypical stayer hitting that flat, port, uh, flat spot and really just bowling along and then finally getting there and, and finding that sort of that staying element right at the, the end of the race. And it's just interesting to see how these these stairs are, are developing now um ross I'll, I'll come to you with thoughts on classical dream obviously ch previous uh Chelt winner at cheltenham we've talked about cheltenham form they really seem to find the the key to him this year do you think he's a worthy favorite yeah i do i do think he's a worthy favorite um i just took the view that of the the top three in the market classical dream flooring porter and and champ they're probably not going to change dramatically in price as you get closer to the to the actual day and you would have to have a slight concern at the back of your head that classical dream doesn't appear the most robust horse. Um, and we, you know, we've got eight weeks to, to get through, to, to get him there. Um, and then just looking at it from a, a, a value angle, I thought the run at Leopardstown and, and the way the start played out actually suited perhaps both classical dream and flooring Porter in that they, they tend to front run with flooring Porter and obviously they couldn't on this occasion, but I think they've gone that way because when he eyeballs one, he, 
over races so if you can get him out in front where he's left alone by himself he does tend to settle better and i think you could apply the same to classical dream so assuming the starter at cheltenham is a little bit more fussed about fair and even starts than the starter at leopardstown there is a chance that they could eyeball each other early over race and force an overly strong pace then looking back through them um the one i thought would perhaps be suited by that and uh Thomas sort of said he is he is getting on a bit now, which he, there's no denying he is, is Paisley Park. Again, has great course form. I wasn't as unimpressed by his running the long walk last time as, as some were. I thought the slow pace and the way the race was run and turning into a sprint certainly wouldn't have suited him. And he was staying on nicely at the end. Um, I thought that was a step back in the right direction. He certainly ran his race the right way around this time, which is a, a big help. Um, and I just thought at 25 to one, they've got something to build on now. Uh, he loves the hill at Cheltenham. And crucially, as Tom mentioned, they've got to come up the hill. They've also got to come down the hill. Um, and he does tend to use the coming down the hill very nicely to get rolling and, and roar back up the other side. Um, so 25 to one, I'm not saying he's the likeliest winner, but I think given the way the, right, the race might be run, I could see him staying on into a, into a place. Do you think Paisley Park is ground dependent now? I know it got pretty, it got quite soft at Ascot that day, um, and he's he's ran, he's won on on heavy ground actually at Ascot in the long walk in twenty twenty. It was pretty heavy. It gets to the point now nowadays in March where we get pretty good ground. Do you think that's something to think about and consider with a with a horse like Paisley Park? Yeah, I mean, I always thought he was going to be better on slightly softer ground, and yet they seem to be of the opinion that he had such a nice action that good ground was of no bother to him. He just always looked quite a heavy, heavy topped horse to me. And I thought I thought soft would suit and certainly look from his form. If it gets soft, it probably is going to help, help him. Um, but I, I wouldn't be unduly worried. And I think there's a big push now that it's not likely to get any quicker than, than good to soft throughout the week. So I wouldn't have a huge concern over that, uh, that sort of factor. He's definitely going to be the biggest price he's uh, ever started. You'd imagine um, whether he might have another run in between will, will be, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I get the impression that it might go straight there. He's 25 to one, although they have said in the past that having more runs is, is a benefit to him. So we might see him at, at the Cheltenham trials day, but currently 25 to one for Paisley Park, um, previous winner of the Stairs Hurdle. James, I'll come to you next. Um, the Stairs Hurdle is a race which I thought was interesting looking through the entries. There are some horses that unexpectedly have got um, entries, the likes of Bouvedere, Astir and Falonde, which Ross mentioned as well, who could, based on the fact that he was, was a pretty good, decent hurdler when he was a younger horse, um, could turn up. Uh, you know, it, we've landed some big shocks in this race in the past. And as, as much as we were saying at the beginning of the show, at the beginning of this, this segment, that there's some good quality stayers now in our midst. Uh, it can throw up some interesting results. I really like what Ross is saying about the idea that Classical Dream and Florian Porter could, could take them each other on. I haven't really thought about that, but I think that's a really interesting angle. Um, and you know, it could throw up it could throw up something slightly different. Where are you thinking at this stage? I thought this was the toughest race uh, to deal with Andy Post. Uh, I think Ross made the key point about Classical Dream. He was off for 487 days before he uh, ran a punch down last April when he won in Ireland. He had two intended opportunities to run. He was withdrawn on the day because he was lame. He's very fragile. He's very hard to train. So if he appears on the day in top form and the market strong, I think he's, he's 
deserves to be a very short price favourite. But I imagine whenever Woody looks at him, he must always be a little bit concerned how sound he's going to be. And, and that's always a worry. Even if he gets there, we saw in that second season of hurdles when he ran a couple of times, he disappointed the odds on both times. So he's a little bit on, on, on the fragile side. Champ, we don't quite know where he's going. Um, and I like that point, again, Ross made about the two. The scenario probably worked out quite well for him in Ireland, Florian Porter and Classical Dream, because Ruby was out of control in the Supreme the first time he tried to start the race back in 2019. He's just a, a very headstrong character and he's not the easiest to control. And at some point that might go wrong. It was to his advantage at Leopardstown, but it might not be at Cheltenham. I don't have any idea really of those that are, that are short in the price. I thought Darvis Star was interesting because you mentioned earlier on Cheltenham form is always key. And, and this horse ran an absolute cracker to be third in a champion a couple of years ago. Chasing wasn't for Gavin Cromwell's horse, but they finally realised that. Put him back over hurdles at Punchestown over Christmas. A little race, not, not a strong race, but he absolutely bolted up by 20 lengths. And that was over 2-3. They've not entered him in a champion. He's only in the stayers. I think he might go for the Boyne hurdle, a race Tiger Roll, I think's won in the past. If he ran well there, he could come without each way opportunity in, in the stayers, which is pretty open and has a potential for some of the leading contenders not to actually turn up. So that was my angle looking into it. Like I said, I thought it was a very tricky race. Um, it's probably the most open, I suppose, really looking forward to, to Cheltenham in March, but we don't quite know who's actually going to turn up just yet. So for that reason, I'll, I'll take a chance on one at a, at a big price. Yeah, I think that's interesting what you say, especially when we look at anti-post selections, because if this horse does win a better race, the, the race at Punch, the race at Punchestown was you know, weak enough, Silas Emery he beat, but it was pretty emphatic. So 25 to 1 could just, he could just come in a bit if he does go up, but you know, that's a big if. He he needs to reproduce that form. Um, he did again, but they seem to be delighted. I think they had the blinkers on him as well, and that really seemed Yeah, to but the blinkers seem to just help him concentrate a little bit. And he has got that back class of coming third and a 17 runner champion if he stays and, and if he retains that kind of form. I mean, we don't really know what level he's at, but if it was just confidence damaged by, by chasing at a few fuel fools in, in that department, um, he has got the class. And obviously he's been, been forgotten because he has been in, in the doldrums a little bit. But uh, yeah, I thought it was tricky tricky to assess. In Classical Dream, he is an enigma and, and just that soundness is, is a huge worry for me, a little bit like Jack and Forsois. Once they've had issues in the past, it's very hard to keep them on, on an even line and keep them fit and well. And, and that's just a worry. Never, still two months to go. What kind of state will, will Classical Dream actually be in come March? Yeah, double star for James, 25 to 1. Similar enough to, to Champ in that he returned to hurdles with a, with a good win. and um, But, you know, a huge, much bigger prize. But it was a, a lesser race that he did win on his hurdles return. Uh, for me, I'm going to take Tom on with Flooring Porter. I think that Danny got it spot on last year from the front. He will be extremely up for a rematch with Classical Dream. But if Ross is right and that they do eyeball and take each other on, it will be interesting to see how this race pans out. Uh, but that start in the Christmas out at Leftstown, it didn't really play to Florian Porter's best needs. And I did think that he might have uh, had it a different way it had, they, had the start been slightly more in his favour. He's currently 6-1, to one, which I think is a a good enough price, double the odds of Classical Dream is currently three to one at present, as we look at it, as James said, three uh, two months ahead of the Sayers hurdle um, as, as we speak. Uh, so the third and final race that we're going to talk about is the feature of the week. That is the Cheltenham Gold Cup. Um, the spectacle, the biggest betting spectacle, the biggest race of the season of the year for many. Uh, this uh, will have 
last year's winner in here, Manella Indo, all things being well. He's not had quite the season that they that they wanted um, so far. Well, uh, a Plutard, Betfair Chase winner. He'll be in this lineup. He sounds like he's going straight there. Um, Album Photo, the jewel winner. He had a pretty good uh, beginning to his season as well. And then there's the King George winner, bit of a big fly in the ointment in the King George Tornado Flyer. There's a, there's not a straightforward, obvious horse in this lineup, I thought. Um, I'll come to you first, Ross. Like we've gone, years gone by. Last year, it was all about album photo. Could he set the record, get three? He couldn't quite do it. It's very hard to race to win once, let alone twice. He did a very good job to finish third, um, beating two horses who hadn't run in this race before. And I would think it's interesting to find a horse that perhaps is coming into it with their first go um, because they have a slightly better record than horses attempting it again. What, where are you sitting with this race two months ahead, seeing where you, what you've seen so far uh, this season? How are you looking at the Gold Cup picture? Uh, through very foggy glasses, Jess. It's, it's a bit of a, a muddle at the moment. Um, album photo. I thought it was quite interesting that the, the Willie Mullins team felt that they could have him better for the for the Gold Cup this year. And yet it seems circumstances have sort of conspired that he'll have exactly the same prep. Now, whether they can get a bit more work into him before this year's Gold Cup, but I'm I'm not sure that we could really believe that a yard of that size sent one to the Gold Cup a little bit undercooked, um, having already won it the previous year and, and a horse they have a fairly good grasp on. But he'll try and do the Corto Star and and, and come and regain it. Um, Miller Lerindo is, for me, the, the, the big concern. Um, I know they put the cheap pieces on to help him travel in the King George. And then they say, you know, the pace caused him to fall in a hole. Well, he pulled up three out. Frodon forced the pace too. I mean, he at least plugged on into fourth. Um, and I just wonder whether the game is starting to get to Manella Indo. Um, I had a look this morning. He's had 15 runs under rules, which is not a lot. But all bar two of those have been over three miles. So he's done a fair few miles now and been some tough attritional races. And I just wonder whether he's starting to think a little bit about the game. Um, Aplutard, you'd have to be disappointed with the run at, at Leopardstown at Christmas. Um, and... You know, if Galvin wins a gold cup, you'd have to say it's a disappointing year um, because, again, Gordon Elliott would have a very good handle on the ability and potential ability of his horses. And all the talk pre-season was about was about getting him to the to the Grand National. Um, so I can't believe they've wildly underestimated his ability. Um, I thought Tornado Flyer was done a huge disservice after the King George. Um, yes, he was ridden well to pick up the pieces, but he was never that far off the pace. Um, and I don't quite understand why, if you're a strong stayer over three miles at Kempton, three and a quarter miles at Cheltenham with a big stiff hill wouldn't suit you even better. So I, I certainly wouldn't be dismissing him. The one I came down on at, at, a, at a wild price with the inspiring form figures of UPFP, but a fairly appetizing price of 99 to one with SBK, was Imperial Aura. Um, he has got to sort of show that he can get back to where he was. Um, but of those previous runs, he bled in the, in, when pulled up in the Ryanair. Uh, he was going very well when tipping uh, over in the Betfair. Um, and then I wouldn't hold any horse uh, for a bad run at Aintree last time where the ground was awful. The wind was apparently astronomical. Um, at his best, he was rated 163. 
I believe the plan is to go to the Denman chase. Um, and he just does have very good back form at the course. Uh, he won the much missed two and a half mile handicap uh, for novices chase, um, beating Galvin by three lengths, giving him a pound, idled up the run in, did it quite comfortably. Um, I would love to see him back. I think he would add a real element uh, to the to the race because he hasn't yet proven he stays three miles, but equally hasn't proven he doesn't because he's not actually in three mile races got far enough to prove whether stamina is an issue. So he is in some ways unexposed still. It is tough to get these horses back as we know, but at 99 to one, I was prepared to, to chance him um, because I do think he's got a touch of class. Touch of class needs to finish his races, hasn't done uh, for over a year, perhaps. We do love you, Ross, but this is one of your more wild, wilder selections. I did, obviously, Norton's Coin won this in 1990 at 100 to 1. So pigs can fly, although I'd imagine it's not a winning bet. It's very much a each way to nothing at this stage. Yeah, and it's, and it's a, if, he, if he runs in the Denman and puts it all together, he won't go off 100 to 1. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a flyer, but there wasn't much else that grabbed me. I think the front of the market is very well priced. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if the winner came away from the front of the market at the moment. It does feel like one of those gold cups where it's just you could pick holes at a lot of the horses at the top of the market. There's definitely um, there's definitely horses within that that have the ability. They're not in the gold cup for no reason. They're probably slightly overpriced a little bit. You know, the, the two time uh, gold cup gold cup winner himself, Arbun Photo, is around the 10, 11 to 1 chance himself. Um, Tom, I'll come to you next. Looking at this at this race, I mentioned before, I, I do like to find a horse that's perhaps not had a had a go in the gold cup before. You know, the likes of Chantry House, can he be forgiven for his run in the King George? I'm interested to see what you think about Ross's points about Kempton and then going on to, to Cheltenham because Clander the Bow couldn't do it. He wasn't, and, and Frodon, albeit he ran a brilliant race last year in the Gold Cup, you know, he's not even entered up in the Gold Cup this year, um, which I think is puzzling because I don't think he ran a bad race, but it, that form sometimes doesn't really stack up, but I feel like you might feel otherwise. Yeah, I, I do. I, obviously, Kempton and Cheltenham are completely different tracks. They go the, the opposite way around to each other. One's left-handed, one's right-handed. Um, Kempton's very flat, Cheltenham's hilly. So, yes, different tracks, but I do think the form translates. Now, we haven't seen a horse win the King George and a Gold Cup in the same year since long run um, in 2010-2011 season. However, before that, this century, there's been multiple winners. I mean, Porto Star, Kicking King, the brilliant best mate, have all won, the, all completed the double um, since the year 2000. So it's definitely doable. Um, yes, we haven't seen anything um, completely double recently, but I'm very much in the camp of Tornado Fly here. I think he's being completely underestimated in the market. And I think that's because prior to his King George success, he was running third, fourth, fifth in these kind of grade one chases. But he was the fourth or fifth string of Willie Mullins in most of them. And he was ridden out the back, not in a race, not run to suit, prefer um, possibly run to suit his first or second string um, in those races. And he was kind of staying on into a place. I'm very much in the camp that Ross said as well, that I think he was done a disservice. Everyone was talking about the brilliant ride that Danny Mullins gave Tornado Flyer. And yes, it was perfect but the horse was considerably the best on the day as well. There was no getting away from that. He won by a margin that was extending at the line. Um, he'd previously been very competitive in grade one chases. I think the switch to Cheltenham will suit. He's run three times at Cheltenham before. He finished third in the champion bumper in 2018 behind stablemate Relegate, 
obviously a two mile bumper is not um, the perfect race for Tornado Flyer. Then he finished fifth in the 2020 Marsh, a good performance at a big price. And then third behind Alaho last year. Um, obviously Alaho produced arguably the performance of the festival. So that was a good run in itself. 15 to one or 14 to one for the, um, for the Gold Cup is a ridiculous price. Looking at his other his challenges in the field right now, I think Aplutard is the horse to beat. Um, that Betfair chase success was incredible. Um, the performance of the season so far over fences, he wasn't as good over um, uh, over Christmas, but I don't think that was the Aplutard that we saw at Haydock. I think if they freshen him up, he'll come back, and he is the horse to beat and deserves to be favourite. Album photo, 10-year-old now. Only one 10-year-old has won this race since I've uh, been alive. Obviously, that's not very long. That's only 26 <laughs> years. Um, but that was in 1998, uh, Cool Dawn. So horses older than the nine don't have a great record in the race. Um, so I'll be looking elsewhere from Album Photo. Nella Rindo needs to bounce back. Galvin, I'm not 100% convinced on. So Tornado Fly was the horse for me. Protectorat may be the main danger at a similar price, um, but I'll stick with the Willie Mullins train runner. Yeah, look, the King George might have just fallen apart into his hands a bit. One side say, the other side say that he's pretty unexposed at this trip as well and that they've really got the, the key for him. Um, and it, he's a, just a great runner to have in this field. As you say, 15 to 1 as it stands. Uh, Ross, um, Ross, I've been to you. James, I've come to you finally. Um, we've, you've heard from both Ross and Tom uh, their thoughts outside of the main dangers at the top of the market. It... A re a, a race that I feel, you know, we'll, we'll see a horse's real true colours. I believe that there's, I'd imagine that's something at the top of this market. I believe will win this. It, it For me, it's that Plutard. I think he's the best horse in the race. I think Rachel, she had had it uh, another day, another way, might have ridden him slightly differently in the Savills. Um, that run at and the Betfair Chase was no fluke. Um, but, and I, I'd imagine a gold cup giving Rachel another go in that as well after last year re-watching it again it which she will, will do I just think it's all in his I think I think he's just the best horse in this race going into it with Rachel knowing how to really ride Cheltenham again thoughts are you with me against me oh absolutely with you because I actually wasn't disappointed by Leopardstown because Henry de Bromhead's team had dropped off a little bit of a cliff quite a few other fast horses Obviously, Manila and Doe at Kempton. Some of them around absolute shockers. Lager debut, I think he bled and was pulled up. Um, a lot of them were, were fancied in, in, in running no races. And that's always concerning from, from a stable point of view because you're heading into the race confident they're in top form and yet they're not running a race. So I expect the whole string wasn't quite at their peak. He got beat short head, steady pace, I think, was against him. Garvin was better placed initially. He used to have a lot of energy to hit the front and then he got beaten a short head. So Yes, it was disappointing he got beat. I don't think it was much different to when he beat Kenboy in the race the year before. We only won by half length on occasion. He lost that by a short head this time around. Manila Rindo, I agree with Ross in the fact that he's had quite a lot of hard races. And, and while he's always peaked at Cheltenham in the spring, the fact that a horse isn't quite as good either side of that does suggest they've got a few quirks. And the cheap pieces, again, reinforce that angle. So despite the fact Manila Rindo has the beating of him, I think Aplutard will easily reverse the form and, and, and is Henry's number one. Rachel's going to be riding. From an Annie Post point of view, you know, come Gold Cup day, Rachel's going to get a lot of supporters and he's probably going to go up a little bit shorter. Um, and, and I've not been disappointed by him at all. I, I just felt the circumstances went against him a little bit last time, yard form, race scenario. Shelton, we saw him when he won the, the novices 
handicap chase here a few years ago, Rachel's first winner at uh, Cheltenham. He, he travelled like an absolute dream. And I just like him. I, I, I'm not disappointed by, by Leopard Sound at all. I'll just mention Tornado Flyer. From a jockey's point of view, he hit the, the perfect instructions, just try and overtake some and pick up as much place prize money as you can. So Danny went out there with no intention of winning the race. And that's quite easy when you ride an outsider and, and you just go out there and enjoy it. And the other jockeys trying not to give Fred an easy lead meant they all went a little bit too hard. And it, for me, it did fall in, in, in his way. Now he's going to be a little bit more fancy than the Gold Cup. If you try and change that and run a bit more positively, will he finish the race off as well? So I did think Tornado was flattered and he's definitely not for me. Um, I think he's one of the, the lesser Willie Mullins likes. And that's why he's been beaten all the time before. It just happened to be the perfect scenario for him in the King George and they worked out nicely. But I'm team Rachel. I think Apitard, out of all the championship races, he's the one I like the most, to be fair. Well, I'm comprehensively backing you there all the way. I think I agree with that. And I think Patrick will play a part in this. It'll be interesting to see he goes along. Obviously, Frodon made this a really, truly run Gold Cup last year. So perhaps Imperial Aurea, um, might if he goes out and jumps and enjoys himself. Um, and Gets halfway there. around. We like we like to hope for Ross's sake that he, uh, he he has a full full run round as well. Really interesting thoughts of the Gold Cup from the stairs hurdle, from the champion hurdle as well. And plenty to digest at this stage. But I think it's important that this is very much anti-post that punting. Um, and it's all about trying to find what could be a bit of value, things that might come in by the time we get there in a couple of months' time. Um, before we wrap up, we I'd like to get everyone's best bets at this stage from anti-post perspective. Um, doesn't have to necessarily be from three races that we've chosen, um, but always good to get thoughts as you know, as we've said, from an anti-post angle, um, as it stands. So I'll go to you first, Tom. Yeah. So my best bet is Journey with me um, in the Ballymore. Now he's available at around nine to one. I've also backed him for the Albert Bartlett. I should say this. Um, I backed him for both races after he won his bumper last March, perhaps ambitiously. Um, but tipsters and, and punters can get into a habit of doing this, liking a horse and then forgetting about the competition and backing miles in advance and then sticking to their guns. However. With Journey With Me, we've seen since that bumper performance that not only has he got an amazing engine and that he's highly regarded, but that he can also jump a hurdle and beat good opposition. He beat Kilcrut comprehensively on his hurdling debut. I think he's going to be in, going to improve for the step up and trip now, whether that's two, two and a half miles or the three miles. I'm not too sure just yet. He's going to be a big player in either race. Now, I think if Constitution Hill runs in the Ballymore, which is unconfirmed, he may not also run. Happen. Yeah, he may run in the <laughs> Supreme, but there are... There is hearsay going around that he may run in the Ballymore. If he runs in the Ballymore, I wouldn't be surprised if Henry de Brom had rerouted Journey with me to Albert Bartlett um, because Constitution Hill just looked incredible last time out. Um, however, wherever he runs, I will be supporting Journey with me. I think he's one of the up and coming hurdlers, um, novice hurdlers that we've got at the moment. And he's in the very much the same mould as Bob Ollinger, um, who just dominated last year. So Journey with me for either the Albert Bartlett or the Ballymore. Very interesting journey with me. By the time Marla, who is going to be one of my sires to follow for this festival, um, also sires of American Mike, I think um, he could have a, a breakout festival journey with me. Needs to, he, Henry de Bromhead, as we said, just needs to refine a bit of a spark, but let's hope that he does by the time uh, we get to the festival. Uh, Ross, I'll come to you next. And it might be worthwhile just having a little um, couple of words about Constitution Hill. Um, because on this podcast this time last week, we did discuss him. Um, he was my my antipost selection for the Supreme. He still he still remains so. He's strengthened in the market. He was really good. He's going to win the Supreme, isn't he? If he runs, 
in the supreme <laughs> yeah he he was he was super the 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 sort of scenario i'd throw out there to to to, to wind you up is john bond potentially now goes and wins the contenders hurdle and mr henderson thinks i've got this supreme wrapped up would you then given that times have changed and instead of having five and six winners at Cheltenham festival mr mullins elliot and de Bromhead have been uh, very dominant would you not split your two best novice hurdlers and try and win the two novice hurdles and then hope you bag the champion chase as well with with shishkin what about this scenario ross what about john bond to the ballymore and constitution hill in the supreme i just think constitution hill settles so well i could see him lobbing round in second gear and then sprinting up sprinting up the hill um but it, wherever constitution hill runs he's he's a proper proper horse um and actually by stallion i think might be the stallion of the of the festival blue brazil who uh, also has a, a very good bumper horse of willie mullins at one over christmas whose name escapes me uh, restitution hill maybe um so my my best bet though comes in the turners um, and again it's a bit of a flyer with my anti-post i tend to like backing horses when i'm pretty confident they're going to run in the race and and that's not the case with this one but brave man's game is 14 to 1 to run in the turners about three times the price he is for the Brown Advisory. I'm not at all taken with, with Bob Ollinger. Uh, I don't think he jumps very well. Um, and I think there's a, a possible scenario that if Bob Ollinger comes out this weekend and doesn't jump well again, Paul Nichols could look at the Cheltenham and decide, do you want to take on Gallopin de Champ in the Brown Advisory, which personally I don't think you'd want to do, or do you want to drop into the Turners, potentially take on Bob Ollinger, who isn't a fluent jumper and you know you are and i think you could drive brave man's game very positively make use of his exceptional jumping um and with the extra fences in the turners versus the ballymore from last year your jumping becomes a weapon bob Ollinger's jumping becomes perhaps a little bit of a handicap i think there's a a fair shout that you could reverse the form the the thing you would say is that paul nichols is perhaps not sold on going to Cheltenham at all and might well swerve it and go to go to entry. So it is a bit of a speculative one, but at 14 to one, I was happy to part with uh, some of my hard earned cash. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if the owners or the trainer wins that battle, but um, Brave Man's game does look very, very good. Whatever he does go to next, a horse to follow um, as a novice. 14 to one, as Ross says, Constitution Hill um, remains my best bet uh, in the Supreme at five to two, which he will go to. I think he'll listen to his... Uh, his jockey, Nico, who has got uh, no allegiances to anything but Constitution Hill. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll hope and keep our fingers crossed that that keeps materialising. Um, James, um, you had a good word for Apu Tard beforehand. And um, as, as, as Tom has said, uh, with Journey With Me, another horse of Henry de Bromhead. So we hope that his horses just turn up and are as good as form as they were last season. Yeah, that could be key. They were absolutely fine, weren't they? last Cheltenham and they haven't been uh, over the Christmas period but my faith is not uh, disillusioned in Apitar. I was impressed at Haydock and that the Feetness that was chase I can easily put a line for it and he only got a beat a short head it wasn't a particularly bad effort certainly compared to what some of his stable mates did so I'm confident with him he's my best bet out of the championship races at Cheltenham going forward and, and I do think um, if he's if he's there he's going to be a shorter price just because of the Rachel Blackmore factor Anyway, so I think at um, eight and the five, he's a nice price at the moment, heading forward to the Gold Cup. And Constitution Hill, I think you have to pray the sun isn't shining in March because the damn queen of the stage, she was a heavy ground performer for 
for Jane Williams. And, and she was actually interviewed at Exeter after a winner the other day. And, and she did say she loves Sandown on heavy ground. And that's kind of what Constitution Hills had a couple of occasions. So interesting on, on a quicker surface um, if he's as good as he looks on that Sandown Hill. Well, for the first day and for the first race, there's always at least soft in the going description. So there's going to be no bother about that. So ooh, we... <laughs> ooh, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see. Plenty of water to go under the bridge. Yeah, um, great to chat to you guys about antipost selections at this stage. We'll have plenty to build up towards and lots of things will change. It'll be interesting to see how things develop over the next few weeks and the next couple of months. Um, next week, we'll have a good look at the champion chase from a, uh, from an antipost perspective as we'll be building up uh, towards the FBK-sponsored Clarence House chase, uh, which looks to be an absolute cracker with Energy Mean and Shishkin. We hope lining up uh, uh, with each other. Um, so that's all to look forward to on next week's podcast. But from me, from Ross, from James, from Tom, thank you very much for joining us. As always, make sure to like, subscribe to the SBK Betting Podcast and we'll be back next week. <laughs>